over 30 years of advice for your house, home, castle, or cabin. Y'all have things you want to get done. It's Rosie on the House. Yes, it is. You're at my house right now. Every Saturday morning we show up and try and share with you information we think you might need to know about owning, repairing, or maintaining your Arizona home. If you've got a question and you'd like to ask, we'd love for you to give us a ring at one 767 In our attempt to become every Arizona homeowner's best friend, we will use our 45 years of building and remodeling experience here in the great state of Arizona, put it to work for you, and uh, either give you a recommendation for someone in your neighborhood that we trust and we've already pre-screened and vetted to come to your aid and assistance and get the job done. Or if it's something you're trying to tackle yourself, give us a ring. We can uh, give you names of tools and products that we particularly like and have had good success with. So as you finish the product, you can put the signature of professionalism on it and the neighbors and and relatives that come over and put the old evil eye on your project can't tell that it wasn't done by a professional. So let us help you along those lines. This is the part of the show where we generally go to the website machine, the internet machine, and we take a look at what are y'all asking us during the week? And um, people get surprised when um, they ask. They said, Rosie, what, what does your week look like? My week is, is uh, staffing an office with 11 employees. Virtually every one of them are focused on answering questions for Arizona homeowners about their house, home, castle, or cabin. And it's gotten to be where a lot of people will just call during the week. And it kind of clogs up the whole office. So as a part of trying to be your best friend, we've tried to extend our services as broad and as wide as we can. But if you want to return the favor, call us on the show Saturday while we're here for that specific purpose. And we'll do everything we can to try and answer your question. But the question that was most asked this week had, went along the lines of something like this. I hate my house. What can I do? <laughs> well, that's pretty broad. Can you be more vague? <laughs> well, you know, Gary, my answer to that is, Tell me more about why you hate your house. Good point. And then, and then we can kind of go from there. We actually had a that that was the most asked on the internet. Yeah. We also had a, a homeowner call this week, and they had bought a home. And as time was going on, they have more and more things that they realize the home is in the set a set home from yeah. the seventies era, and so they're realizing there's repairs. And she was a little distraught, but everything that she brought up, you felt was not a big deal. You know, like it's it wasn't monumental. In her mind, it is, but we wanted to kind of talk through how monumental it can be to move as well. So, you know, um, interest rates are low. 
but demand is high. So if you decide to sell your home, you may or may not be able to find what you're looking for. So you, there's a lot to weigh when you're, when you're thinking that. I have a couple tips for you here. I can't believe the articles we researched this week about the stress moving induces on a couple. It says that six out of 10 Americans say moving is more stressful than going through a divorce or a breakup. That's hard for me to believe. If, if, if you're moving as a couple creates more stress than a divorce, you got way too much stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, yeah, there's something fundamentally wrong there. Well, and, re, you know, remodeling is also very stressful. You, you say it's often more stressful that sometimes than you're like a counselor because they're, mo- they're living in the middle of change and construction. Yeah. You know, unless they, you know, can move out or whatever. But it, it can be really tough, too. We, we just finished a kitchen remodel for a couple in McCormick Ranch. And they're tickled to death. They love their new kitchen. But she looked at me when we were done, and she says, I never imagined the number of decisions I was going to have to make to take this from beginning to end. And I'm just so thankful we had somebody with a little bit of experience to narrow those decisions down. It is stressful. It is. And you have to devote some time to it. You know, that's not something somebody can decide for you. So that's that's how a lot of the jobs slow down. So anyway, there's just so many fa- facets to it. But there's a couple reasons you might want to sell. And one is because the interest rates are low. They've gone up about a point this year. If you want to know the exact numbers, give our guy um, Harold Perkins at Galaxy Lending. He'll talk you through the process. We really trust him. He's a trusted partner. Um, and they're expected to remain low for a while. So that makes it appealing to sell right now. Um, And if you have a starter home, you're likely to get a really good price on it because there's a lot of people looking to buy for the first time. You know, people are looking at their homes very differently now. It's it's a home and it's an office and it's a and it's a spa. I mean, they want it to be service all their needs so that they don't have to worry about things being locked down or whatever. So home ownership has got a whole new appeal to people. And then, you know, if you just if you've been a person who's had to change jobs or change careers, you may just have to move. So it's something you're gonna have to engage in. But reasons to wait to sell would be that you just refinanced. You know, you need to wait a while to get the what is it, like five to seven? Re- recapture the Yeah. But how points. long how long does that take though? I mean Oh, it's it's months. completely contingent on credit rating and yeah. how high the loan to value is and if you're participating in Mortgage insurance, and I mean, it's every condition is. But it very takes unique. some time to to recap all that. It so, does. Yeah, and then um, if you're wor- you might want to wait to sell if you're worried about affording your next purchase. Like you don't want to get stuck where you end up paying more, and maybe more than you can afford. There was a story of a listener of the show who had a man knock on her door in Awatuki and ask, "Is this house for sale?" And she said, "No." He said, "How about?" For X, she said yes. So <laughs> I think I would be one of the ho- people. The house was not listed. He made a deal right there on the doorstep. She sold him the house. She was so sure she had made a great deal, and then she got out shopping for what she was going to replace it with. And she went back to the guy and said, "Is there any way I can renege on this?" <laughs> oh, oh my goodness, that is so sad. Mm. Oh, so do a little pre-shopping before you uh, accept any price on selling the unit you're in now. But I tell people all the time, you know, uh, speaking from firsthand experience, uh, in what Jennifer and I have been through in the last four years since what we call the crash, since my accident, 
Our house was built in the 60s. It's an old house. And it went about three and a half years without me doing a thing to it. And it, the deferred maintenance runs over you so fast that once you think, oh, well, I'll get to those two or three things, and you're putting your product list together to go to the store and pick it up, you see three or four more things. And if you don't stay on top of it, but it's important, like this call we took to the office this week. The woman was so distraught over the condition of her home, but it was in a one of the most desirable zip codes of the entire valley. She'd been in it to where she had a mountain pile of equity in it. And I was trying to calm her down saying, just relax. The house is not going to fall down around. It's not going to fall down on you in the middle of the night. We can take a look at a few of the things that need to get done. And whether the next buyer tears the house down and builds one of the McMansions or not, shouldn't be what's driving your anxiety. Don't worry about that. Let's just get the home back where you're fundamentally comfortable and secure. And we'll, we'll go from there. Absolutely. She wants you to kind of help her through that decision. Yeah, and she's alone, and she had a lot of opportunity to be thinking about it all by herself, sipping her morning coffee and seeing things that needed to be cared for. But it, you, know, you just tackle them one at a time. Let's see if we can go to George. He's been holding uh, for quite a while, calling from Mesa. We talk about it being a call-in talk show. We get distracted and telling stories, but you can reach us by dialing one 767 George and Mesa. Yes, uh, about 15 months ago, we put in some luxury vinyl flooring in our house. Okay. About 900 square feet. And uh, we've enjoyed it, but recently this summer, some of the planks um, in the hallway began to come up. So I called the sales rep who sold us the product and had it installed, and she came out, the installer came out, the product guy came out, and they're pointing fingers at each other. Yeah. So she's trying to resolve this for me, but I'm wondering... How does this usually get resolved? Do, do I have to come up with some money or should I just hold my my pants until somebody figures out how they're going to fix it for me? Okay, George, because you called, here's what I'm going to tell you to do. I want you to call my personal luxury vinyl floor expert in the East Valley, Vaughn Payne at East Valley Floors. His number is 986 Three, four, four, four. Let him know the dilemma you're having and have him come out and give you all the ammo you need to talk to these people to get them to quit pointing fingers and focus on a solution. There are many different luxury vinyl products. They are applied to many different types of services, surfaces some are a, a basically a wood core product and don't have the durability that you hoped they would have when you bought it 
Some are absolutely pure, solid vinyl, which are nearly bulletproof. But George, you give Vaughn a call. Have Vaughn come over, visit with you, and he'll do that at no cost because I'll ask him to. Uh, and he'll give you all the information you need to proceed to a fair and honorable solution. We have Eva in Phoenix, who will take right after this short break. All right, here this morning at Rosie on the House. Uh, sweet Jennifer, why don't you pull up this next caller? We'll welcome Eva into the conversation, calling from Phoenix. Good morning, Eva. Good morning, Rosie. How are you doing? Very super fantabulous. Great. Good to hear. I listen to your show every Saturday. Well, thank you. I hope we help. What are you trying to get done today? Okay, so uh, I purchased a manufactured home. It's an 1,800 square foot. And this is like my retirement home because this is really what I can afford in my little corner of the world. Great. Um, this is not like your typical, thank you, this is not your typical, like, trailer that's sitting in a trailer park uh, on wheels and stuff. It's actually sitting on a foundation okay. where you have to go underneath okay. the house um, in order to, you know, work on it if you need to work on it. Okay. So it's a stable. Um, but I've noticed that since I purchased the house, um, there was a little bit of a squeak at the time, and they fixed it on the floors. And now my bedroom and office area has, like, it's squeaking everywhere, practically. So um, I reached back out to the inspection company that did the inspection for my manufactured home. And they had come out one other time because I noticed a crack in my ceiling. And they checked everything and said everything is still looking good. Um, so I reached back out to them regarding this. And they suggested I contact a structural engineer to come out and look at my place because I've had people tell me that maybe the foundation is settling. Well, or, Miss, Miss Eva, you know, was it, did you buy a manufactured home that was already on its foundation someone else had, or did you buy a yes. brand new home that got planted on a brand new foundation? No, it's already been there. It was already there. How long so has it been there? I don't well, it's been there... I'm going to guess at least 20 years. Okay. I mean, All right. it's pretty settled. And I, you know, I own the land that it's sitting on and everything. So, I mean, okay. it's pretty settled. So, so that's why I'm not understanding why there might be issues now. And when you bought it, you had a home inspection company do a complete inspection on the house. Yes. Okay. Well, I tell you what I'm going to ask you to do. Uh, I'm going to ask you, and, and, and I'll tell you that my this next week for me is booked 120% solid. There's no way I'm going to get everything done this week that I'm supposed to. But if you'll get me that home inspection report, uh, either by email or snail mail, I'll take a look at that. Now where What's the closest cross streets to your home? I'm up on Cave Creek Road and Greenway. Oh, okay. I, I know right where you are. Okay. You're close. That's right in our neighborhood. Um, you get me that home inspection report, and I'll make an appointment to swing by and take a look at it and let you know if you've got anything to be concerned about. I'm guessing you probably don't. 
from what you've told me so far. But let's get that home inspection report and we'll go from there. Don't expect to hear from me this week. It will be the following week. But I will have you on my follow-up to-do list. I don't think most people realize how well modular manufactured homes are built. It's a whole you, different story than it used to be. I got yeah. to take a tour yeah, uh, yeah. last year. And you, I was, most of these homes that they're building on site today, you couldn't pick them up, put them on a trailer, and drive them down the road. <laughs> they would all just fall apart. No, I think <laughs> we just need to get past that mind picture of what that yeah. really means. But it's 20 years old. I know, I, I'm pretty sure I know the actual subdivision she's in. Uh, the, the, I believe those were Palm Harbor or CAFCO units. Those are both two very good manufactured home manufacturers uh so we'll, we'll we'll take a look at it for her and see if she's got any real concerns or not just wrapping up this thought about do i remodel or do i move <laughs> do i hate my own? you know we had a, we also had a, an older lady call and her house was really um it had some really major repairs and we talked about you know is it worth it for someone like that to put repairs in and and if the value of the home if she has a lot of equity in that, it might just be worth repairing oh. and staying so that you have the equity and you have the, the money that you would need should you need to sell later. And you have your place that you're used to and you have a place that you can't get locked into because of a clo- <laughs> lockdown and stuff. But there would be a lot of good reasons for staying, even though it's a little traumatic sometimes for someone elderly to deal with repairs. And then as far as the younger gal that called, you know, she was wigged out because there was odor, and then she was concerned maybe about a little foundation stuff. So she's supposed to send some pictures. But, Rosie, in your mind, is there any kind of repair that would keep you from wanting to to hang on to a house? Like, I'm just done. Not for me, because I couldn't sell a problem home and not not get murdered for it. Well, you have to obviously, but, if you sell something, you have to yeah, disclose. What's you going have to with disclose. It, but, but what, you know, at what point? To, to us, this, for this gal, we have all kinds of solutions for odor, odor, and foundation solutions can fix any homes. So. Yeah, odor, odor elimination really can be tackled fairly economically, and it's not a reason to sell a home. We got to identify the real source of the odor, and uh, chances are we can solve that problem for about a thousand dollars or less permanently, forever. So uh, the best way you can deal with those issues is on a one-on-one situation. Just consider where are you going to go? How much is it going to cost there? Sanderson Ford. They're on 51st Avenue, just south of Glendale Avenue in Glendale, Arizona. They're open Monday morning to Saturday afternoon, always closed on Sunday. An inventory packed 65 acres, celebrating 66 years of success, serving the community and the state. Know this, Arizona truly is Sanderson Ford country. Still owned by the same family that opened the dealership on May 1st, 1955. With 250 service bays and collision bays, 22 master certified technicians, an on-site Starliner diner, an accessory shop to add your customized personal touch to any vehicle, the largest parts inventory in the entire state, and a dedicated commercial fleet department. 
as well as a website that'll let you shop, buy from your very own home, and they'll deliver the car to your driveway. Sanderson Ford, if you're in the vehicle shopping mode, you would absolutely be crazy not to stop by and visit the great folks at Sanderson Ford on 51st Avenue, Monday morning through Saturday evening. They're there waiting for you to treat you like a neighbor. Sanderson Ford. Welcome back to Rosie on the House. In that October is Fire Prevention Month, where we've brought on special guests to talk through fire prevention education that you, the Arizona homeowners, need to have top of mind. So this Saturday, we're very privileged to have Mr. Brent Fenton, the public information officer from the Daisy Mountain Fire Department right here in Maricopa County. Brent, thanks a million for joining us this Saturday. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. You bet. Well, uh, I can I can kind of testify to the fact of uh, what smoke alarms and CO detectors have done in the way of safety in the area of Scottsdale and the fact that you know, they took it so serious, they actually had to start installing fire suppression systems into the new homes almost 30 years ago. What what would you, as a member of the Daisy Mountain Fire Department, what would you want your Arizona homeowners to know about smoke detectors, CO detectors? You know, yeah, so first and foremost, the most important thing is to, is to have one and uh, make sure that uh, you, you check your batteries you test them. Uh, we recommend testing them uh, about every six months, and we also recommend replacing those batteries every six months. And then along with that, uh, smoke detectors, a lot of people don't know, smoke detectors have a, a shelf life of about 10 years. And then once they're past that that 10-year uh, age, uh, it's recommended by not only us, but the manufacturers that you replace those smoke detectors just to ensure that you've got the most up-to-date technology and a detector that's going to be uh, working to the uh, capability. And how does a smoke detector work? And boy, they've sure increased where they want us to put them in the houses over the last five years. Right. Yeah. So there's a, there's a number of uh, different types of smoke detectors. Um, there's the ionization ones. Uh, those are more responsive to, uh, I would say, flaming fire, like fires that that are actually creating a flame. Uh, you, you do a lot of times get uh, some false alarms. So they'll play, those are kind of different where they, where they put those. They're not necessarily ones that you would see necessarily near like a kitchen or things are going to be cooking. And then they have the photoelectric uh, ones that are, they're more responsive to like the smoldering fires. The, they respond to the particles that are in the air, uh, the, the smokes and things like that. Um, and then you also have, you have uh, CO detectors. So you have CO detectors, which are solely looking for carbon monoxide. Um, and then you have combination detectors that are looking for CO as well as smoke. And when we're talking about CO, generally where we see, especially in the valley, uh, where we're going to see a lot of uh, the CO production is going to be homes that have uh, real wood-burning fireplaces. But not only that, you're also going to see homes that have gas. So they have um, those gas furnaces in the attic. Uh, sometimes they have gas hot water heaters. And so carbon monoxide is a byproduct of uh, uh, burning um, natural gas or, or uh, burning wood and things like that. And so a lot of times if there's a leak in the ventilation system, that's where you can sometimes get that CO uh, buildup, and that's when those detectors are looking for that. And they let us for a long time 
just put a smoke detector down the bedroom hall and right. just in the sleeping area. Now they'd like us, now it's code. Uh, they want a smoke detector in every bedroom. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, they, they, they want a smoke detector inside of uh, every bedroom or every, every sleeping area. And not only that, they also want one in the hallway outside of those areas. So a lot of times, especially in the new constructions, you're going to, like you said, you're going to see one in every bedroom, but you're also going to see one just outside the doorway. And then we're going to put one in the kitchen area. We're going to put one in the garage. All code requirements now. Right. Yeah, you'll, you'll see there's a, there's a number of different areas where they're putting them. And, and when we were talking about the CO detectors, um, CO is slightly lighter than air. So they actually recommend um, anywhere from the five-foot level on up uh, is where they recommend those uh, detectors to be detected because obviously that CO is slightly being lighter. It's going to rise. And a lot of times it often, like I said, it's generated um, from the burning of the fuels. So it's going to be warmer, and so naturally that's also going to rise as well. And a lot of the CO detectors do come with a sealed battery case. They're a lithium battery. It uh, age out in 12 years. They say replace them every 10. Uh, the alkaline batteries are the ones you want replaced every 6 to 12 months at the most. Uh, you can always test your batteries uh, but I would encourage you to date them or put a little piece of tape on the inside cover and record there the last day you installed a fresh set of batteries. Um, do you all have to respond to many false alarms? Yeah, you know, we do. Um, and that's correct. Like you were talking about with the batteries, there, there's the sealed units and there's the ones that they recommend every six to 12 months. Um, we recommend, you know, just finding a date and, uh, taking, you know, two dates throughout the year, and this is when you, you change your batteries. But a big thing that causes those false alarms for us uh, is the batteries that are um, dying, but also um, smoke detectors, you know, it, just like anything else, being in the desert, uh, very dusty environment, and that dust gets in our home, and so the smoke detectors get a dust buildup in them. Um, and sometimes that can, that can trick the smoke detector into thinking it's seeing smoke or smoldering material. And that'll actually activate, and we'll get these. And it, it always seems like those activations happen, you know, at uh, two and three in the morning when you're asleep. You wake up, and your smoke detectors are going off, and there's no sign of any smoke or fire, and you can't figure out why it's going off. And so we come out there and we respond. And a lot of times, it's uh, most times it's the battery, but uh, oftentimes, especially at the transition of seasons when we're coming out of uh, summer, going into fall, the cooler temperatures are coming. A lot of times, when people turn on those heaters. Um, again, there's uh, dust buildup inside of those uh, inside of that ductwork, and it, so it blows that dust throughout the the, uh, the ventilation system, blows it up into the air. The smoke detector sees that; it'll alarm. As well as with the gas furnaces, you have that dust buildup, and a lot of times people will turn on um, their heaters. Same thing happens. That, but the thing is, is with the dust, there's actually, or with the, I'm sorry, with the gas furnaces, there's actually a flame that's generated in there. And so it can actually burn some of that dust, not creating a, a, a flame, but it'll create that smell. So people will smell right. what yeah. they think is smoke and fire. And then you have that combination of the fire alarms and they think their house is on fire. So a big thing that we recommend is, is just, um, you know, general maintenance, uh, changing those batteries. You can buy the canned air, and you can blow those detectors out and get the, the dust out of there. 
And, um, you know, obviously, and everybody's AC units have uh, filters on there. So changing those filters regularly will also help with that, uh, that dust buildup. And Brent, in, in the horrible case that you are dealing with a house fire, why don't you talk the homeowners through um, that active fire family plan? What would you have a family practice ahead of time? Right. So, yeah. So, you know, in the, uh, in the, the awful uh, situation you find yourself trapped in a home that is, uh, that is on fire, obviously we want to make sure that people get low. They crawl below the smoke. They're feeling doorways with the back of their hand, not with the palms of their hand. Uh, if you're not feeling any kind of fire, then you uh, can open, it's safe to open those doorways, stay below the smoke and get to an exit uh, in the, an exit that you've identified in your building or in your home. Uh, but even before that, a big thing that families can do is just formulate a plan. Uh, you, you live there, so you know the blueprint of your house. You know where there's windows. You know where there's doors. You know where the stairways are, the exits. Formulate those plans. The parents can get together with kids, and they can even, you know, they can make it a fun, creative way by, by drawing a picture of the house and, and having the kids say, show me where the front door is. Show me where the back door is. If you had to get out of your room, uh, where would you go? And, and, you know, just explaining to them the ways to get out of the home, um, to get out of uh, a window, um, but then also identifying those escape routes, but identifying a place that when everybody gets out, where you're going to meet and where you're going to stay together so that way you can call 911. Because the first priority, um, when you, obviously, if you were to wake up and your home is full of smoke, is to get out. Sometimes people think, I got to find my phone and I got to call 911. We would much rather you get yourselves out and then either call a neighbor, um, knock on somebody's door, have them call 911. But the priority for us is to make sure that you get out safely. Don't go back in for belongings, um, pets, things like that. If you can if you can bring them with you as you're exiting, that's fine. But do not go back into a home that is uh, under, that is involved in fire. Now, for decades, we've had a code requirement where every sleeping quarter, every bedroom must have egress that uh, occupant can escape out of the home through a window. That's the right. window has to be of a size that a person can actually get out the window. I would encourage right. you homeowners to make sure the kids know how to operate the lock mechanism on the window. Make sure they can slide the window open. Make sure they know what kind of force it's going to take to bust that screen out of the way. And take a look at your landscaping right outside the window. Might not be the best place for a prickly pear cactus. Make sure you right. make sure the kids know how to get in and out that window. Mr. Brent Fenton, public information yeah, and, officer. Sorry, if I could interject one more yeah. thing that's really important. Absolutely. We, strong, we strongly recommend uh, closing the door. They, they call it the close before you do campaign. We strongly recommend that because um, all the doors are rated for a certain amount of time for fire breakthrough. And you, and you would be really shocked to see some of the, uh, the photos that we have from homes that have fires that break out in the middle of the night, and you'll see the, the catastrophic damage that's done to the home, but then you'll see the bedrooms that had the doors closed, and they will have very, very minimal smoke damage. So we always recommend uh, occupants of homes, especially with children, close those doors before you go to sleep because that buys you a lot of time. And especially if you're unable to escape, that buys a lot of time for us to get there to get in and rescue you. Those are the kind of tips we were looking for from the experienced firefighting 
Daisy Mountain Fire Department, Mr. Brent Fenton. Thanks a million for joining us. We Absolutely. really appreciate you carving time out to help us educate the Arizona homeowners on staying safe, October Fire Prevention Month. Wrapping it up. And I don't want to wrap up today without making sure all of you in Santa Cruz County, Pima County, and Pinal County aren't absolutely perfectly aware that next weekend is the Saba Home and Garden Show. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. They've had a little time here where they were trying it virtual due to the COVID protocols. It's back live. It's in the Tucson Convention Center. Uh, one of the absolute best home shows in the state. They do a great job and have been at it for many, many years. So for those of you in southern Arizona interested in shopping the services or the accessories you're considering for your home, the Tucson Saba Home Show is a great place to get it done next weekend. And then, of course, you're talking about food. You, you always got the food court out back. Can't right. go wrong with the food court at Saba, that's for sure. Let's hope the tri-tip's back. That's all we think about. That's right. <laughs> I, I, I got news that it's not. So, but they, oh. they also have come up with some great other food trucks. So check them out. Well, what are your what, takeaways for today? Gosh, there was a lot. I, um, Greg Peterson's Urban Farm org. If you are interested in learning more about planting and caring for citrus trees, or just listen back to that eight o'clock hour, you can find it on our website. There was so uh, much information about how to plant, how to nurture, how to care for, well, how he, to kill. <laughs> and 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 he brought in a whole new layer of information. Yes, he did on thriving. Mm-hmm. How, have a new, what do you have to do to get your citrus to be thriving? And those were points I had never heard before. Really great information. So that was my takeaway. Just I want to plant something. Okay. Well, I'll tell you one takeaway for me is don't retire to Florida. <laughs> There's spine, spiny, what do they call it? Spiny-tailed Iguana. iguanas yeah. in, in, in your toilet. I just can't imagine going in there in the early oh, morning. Cajun boy, man. You, throwing you're the, up to alligators, throwing the lid open and seeing that thing in there. Yeah, you know, she's got a point, too. Because <laughs> Rosie really. and I grew up in uh, <clears throat> Cajun country, and there, you know. That, Nothing I, bothers I, him. Are no, you kidding? Yeah. But, I mean, I've heard stories of water moccasins in the toilet and all that. Oh, and man. All that other stuff. But uh, I think after hearing that, I'm going to have to turn the light on when I get up. <laughs> <laughs> when you're visiting your sister in Florida. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, I got a takeaway. Actually, we we just had uh, Brent on from Daisy Mountain Fire Department. I I only I live alone in my house and I keep the doors open. But he had mentioned when you go to bed at night, fire for fire prevention, we close the door. That way, if a fire happens in the house and your door is closed to the bedroom, you have a lot of time to escape, provided you have a proper escape plan. Never thought about that. It buys you. That it buys you time. Great tip. Great tip. Um, thank him for joining us this morning. That was super information. Also, the CO2 uh, placement, because we talked about that right. this week as well, um, uh, where to put them. And also, a CO2 and a smoke detector, I believe, in each. Right, building. right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And they, they actually make combo units as well. But the new code requirement says we need that smoke detector in every single bedroom. And... If you're going to invest in it, and maybe your house isn't wired for it, uh, the best is that the 
alarms would be connected by hard wire. And if one goes off, they all go off. Well, that, that can be kind of a big job in a remodel. They do make radio frequency connected units that if one goes off, they all go off. Now, I will tell you, we've had mixed results from those, and you have to kind of fine-tune them, and it takes a little extra diligence uh, to get those dialed in right. But they are available. So they're not oversensitive? Is that what you're saying? Like they're not all going off all the time? Right, right. And then and uh, it's bad enough if you're in a three- or four-bedroom home that one of them goes off for some unknown reason. Well, then they all go off, you know, throughout the whole house. So there's no chance of anyone sleeping through that. So the interconnected radio frequency is available. Uh, the CO detectors need to be about five foot above finished floor or higher carbon monoxide is lighter than air so it will raise up so you want to capture it as it goes up there's strategic places you shouldn't shouldn't place your smoke detectors in and around hot showers steamy situations kitchens so take a look at uh our uh, take a listen to our podcast take a look at our newsletter on this might be a great time you were talking about holiday gift shopping the Giving your family the security of a good CO, carbon monoxide detector, and smoke detector alarm system would be a very honorable holiday gift Mm -hmm. that you could give the family. So consider that. And then my biggest takeaway was a repeat in our studying of plumbing of a lesson I learned about five years ago from my friend Scott. DIY plumbing repair by Scott. You never go down the plumbing aisle with a hand basket to fill. <laughs> you go down the plumbing aisle with the big cart, and you just throw everything you might think you need into the cart, go home, spread it out, do your plumbing repair, and then make one return trip for all of the things you didn't end up using. So just the reminder of that lesson is, uh, is, was valuable to me. It was one I had forgotten. Mm. stumbled across it in our research for a day in the life of a plumber and how great a service and career and lifestyle that can be. It's our third in a series where we've talked about air conditioning technicians and installation experts as well as electricians. The trades are a great place to pursue a career, a great quality of life, and it's only going to get better because the demand for trained technicians is skyrocketing. Y'all have a blessed week. 